If uh, you've been with us, you know that we're in a book called Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is an Old Testament book. Uh, you'll find it in the middle of the Old Testament, but the story really happens at the end of the Old Testament. It's about a guy who was a cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in a uh, palace called Shusha, and uh, he was a Jewish boy serving a pagan king. And uh, he was 800 miles away from Jerusalem, and they came to him, and they told him, he asked about Jerusalem, and they told him it's really bad. Nehemiah, you need to understand it. There's bad, and then there's really bad, and then there's people who are about ready to just throw in the towel, and we're at the people who are about ready to throw in the towel stage. And Nehemiah became very burdened. He started praying and fasting and, and asking God what could happen. For about four months, Nehemiah did that, Nehemiah chapter 1. Finally, the... Uh, pagan king looked at him one day and said, okay, there's something bothering you. What is it? And Nehemiah spilled his guts. He said, here's what's going on. And the king made a very, very unusual ask of Nehemiah, which showed the hand of God was in this thing. And he asked Nehemiah, he said, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah said, I, I want to go. And the king said, okay, you can go. And then Nehemiah, in his boldness as a leader, stepped forward and said, uh, by the way, king, I got another thing. Will you send me a kind of a blank document that lets me go anywhere so people know I'm not running from you. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll give you a diplomatic immunity wherever you go. He said, then, King, if it's not too much, can I also ask that you give me a blank check, give me your credit card, so that when I get over there and I need to get stuff, I can get whatever I need. And the king said, that's, I'll do that too which was a hand of God because this is a king who earlier had shut down this project because Nehemiah wanted to go back and build the walls. So then the king did something Nehemiah never even asked for. He said, I'm going to send you an armed escort. He said, they will go all the way with you over there. They will be with you and you'll be okay and then you can come back to me. And so Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah does that. He gets on site. He surveys it all. He takes a little bit of time to rest. He figures out what needs to be done gathers the people together and says, let's, let, let's build the walls. Let's take care of the walls. Now, for those of you that haven't been with us, you need to understand these walls are approximately, on average, about 40 feet tall. They're 8 to 12 feet wide. And we're talking about 2 to 2 and a half miles long. So if you drive from here to Climbing Hill and you look at the telephone poles, that's ballparkish how high we're talking about. And we're talking about 8 to 12 feet wide, from here to Climbing Hill. And the enemy had pretty much decimated these things and torn them all down. So that's the project in front of us. And in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and the people were able to do this in 52 days, less than two months. This is a massive undertaking. And by the way, they're not builders. They're just average people doing average jobs. We get to chapter 3, and they're all listed. We, or a bunch of them are listed. And we, so we find that there's goldsmiths and there's, 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 there's all, just all kinds of people from every kind of trade. But you need to understand that anytime you try to accomplish something for God, Satan doesn't like that, so Satan starts to work. And that's when we get into chapter 4 and we start to see what he did. So the last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about what Satan, what Satan was doing. He used a group of guys to come in and start making fun of them. Um, and, and he used a bunch of people to intimidate them, to create fear in the lives of these people. He continued to uh, work in the hearts of people and, and, and try to attack them from without. But Nehemiah 
being a godly man and being a wise leader, grabbed them all together and huddled them together and said, okay, let's, let's, let's not get sidetracked with the fear on it. Let's, let's just serve the Lord here and let's focus on what God has for us and let's do this thing. And so that's what they do. We talked about how Satan does that in our lives too, that often we will get attacked from the outside. And if you're going to try to do something for God, you need to know you're going to find people that get mad. You're going to find people ridicule you. You're going to find people that try to tell you, tear you down and make you do make you not do it so they feel better. This morning you're going to see when that doesn't work, what does Satan do next? And so when the attacks from the outside don't happen, don't work, Satan goes to plan B, and this morning we're going to look at plan B. And you're going to find it in Nehemiah chapter 4. It's going to be up here on the screen, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our, adversaries, and our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So, one of the things that you see right off the bat is notice it says, then Judah said. Now, that's an important name because Judah is a leader with the children of Israel. If you will remember, Jesus is a lion from the tribe of Judah. So Judah was always looked at as a leader, a leader group, and anytime you see them mentioned in the Old Testament, they're, they're kind of known for being leaders. So one of the leaders comes, and he says, so he's talking to Nehemiah, he says, Nehemiah, the strength of the labor is failing. In other words, he said, Nehemiah, we are exhausted. We're tired. We are, we're just exhausted from building this wall. And again, this is hard physical labor. This is over in the Middle East. It's not air-conditioned. It's hot outside. The boulders are big. The stones are trying to get piled up to make a wall wide enough to, and secure enough. And he said, Nehemiah, we're just tired. Uh, felt that way? Because they're in the middle of trying to serve God. They're in the middle of trying to do something for God. They're in the middle of trying to get this wall built, And it's exhausting work. And then notice what he goes on to say. And, oh, no, no, go back, guys. I'm going to camp on this one for a minute. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Here's what you need to remember. The wall had been destroyed 100 years before. So they have 100 years of garbage sitting around too. And, they, and they're saying, those of you who have been up here working, you will get this. We have to spend so much time cleaning up before we can work that... It's just exhausting trying to be able to do our work because we got so much to clean up. And again, for a hundred years, they had walked by all of this garbage. Okay, women who have a husband who lives on an acreage, please listen to me. It's easy to walk by our piles. I have a metal pile, I have a wood pile, I have a scrap appliance pile, I have a Salvage car pile? We don't notice it. Okay? And, and this is a hundred years. These guys had walked past all of this stuff. For a hundred years, they just ignored it. Now all of a sudden they're trying to build, and guess what? Now it's in the way. Now they got to do something with it. And so that Judah comes to Nehemiah and goes, Nehemiah, first of all, we're tired. Secondly, there's so much garbage we can't even get to do what we're supposed to do. And then added to that. He said, our adversary said, they'll neither know nor see anything till we come in our midst and kill him." He said, in addition to that, Sambat, Tobiah, Geshem, all those guys we've been talking about, they're standing outside the wall waiting for us to take us out. 
There's snipers sitting up there just ready for their shot to take us out. There are guys who are hiding in wait, ready to kill us. Nehemiah, we're going to build the wall, but we may lose our life doing it, and we're scared. And so Judah comes to him and goes, Nehemiah, we got some problems here. First of all, everybody's exhausted. Second of all, we got way too much garbage. Second of all, everybody's scared. Everybody's just scared. Notice what he goes on to say, verse 12. <coughs> so it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. In other words, they come to them and they say, look, you guys need to know, these guys are ready for you. These guys are setting up to take you guys out. And no matter where you go, they'll be there to take you out. You think you can set up an escape plan and run out the back? They're ready for you in the back. You think you can, you can mount some big defense? They're ready for you. You need to be scared because these people are serious about you not building these walls. And they are willing to do whatever they need to do to make sure those walls don't get built. Now, there are different Bible commentaries debate here. One group says these people are trying to discourage them from building the walls. I don't think so. The other group says these people are really helping because here's the thing. These are Jews who are making this comment. And these are Jews who aren't involved in building the wall. These are Jews who are living in the area around Jerusalem where the wall is being built. These are Jews who are living in the area where the enemies of the children of Israel are. And they're hearing the talk in the town about what these people are going to do. So they come to Nehemiah. And they say, Nehemiah, you need to know. These guys are serious. And notice it says they came at least ten times. Now, you know, it's not like, okay, one, two. No, no, no. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, you go, you know, well, it happened a million times. It didn't happen a million times. What you're saying is it just happened over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what they're saying. They kept coming to him over and over again. They wanted them to understand the seriousness of it. And notice what he goes on to say. Therefore, this is Nehemiah speaking, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening. And I set people according to their families, their swords, their spears, and their bows. So in other words, Nehemiah says, so what I did was, we figured out where we were most vulnerable. And we realized that we had spots on the wall that weren't quite built up, strong enough to protect us. So what we did is we focused on those spots. And I got people there, and notice what he says. I, I didn't just say, okay, you guys, we need to build this real quick. He said, we all just pulled it aside, focused on this, and we were ready to fight. We got spears and swords and bows and stuff like that. In fact, later you're going to find it, as we get farther into the story, in a couple weeks, you're going to find that they literally, in one hand they've got a spear, and the other hand they've got a trowel. Um, you know, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like working up here and going, okay, guys, you know, people are going to come and try to take us all out because we're building this building. So I need everybody to have the concealed carry permit. I need everybody to carry I need everybody to be ready to fight at any moment. So, you know, Tuesday, before we start, we're going to have weapons training. We're going to go out. We're going to fire into the hill a couple of times, make sure everybody's good to go. Then we're going to come back in here, and we're going to work. <clears throat> and uh, if they come, we're ready for them. You know, now, that's not what we do at our trap shoot, okay? <laughs> it's not what we believe. I'm using this as an illustration. But that's the idea. The idea is we're going to fight. And we're going to work. And we're going to be ready to defend ourselves. So they've got spears and bows and everything else that are all ready to do it. And they're still working. And then notice what he says. Um, uh, and their bows. And then go to the next passage, guys. Uh, and then we're going to be done for today. And I looked and arose 
So then he said, okay, so we got everybody, we're, we're filling in all the gaps. Then I gathered all, everybody together. And I looked in our rows and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, so I get everybody together. And this is what you're going to see. What does he say? Two things. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He said, remember the Lord and remember why we're doing this. Remember the Lord and remember why we're doing this. This is about your future. This is about the future of your kids and your grandkids and everybody else. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're building these walls. God has led us this far. He will continue to take care of us. And you're going to see that over and over again because as fear comes in, that's one of the standard responses. As he prays and he says, let's get back to focusing on God. Let's get back to focusing on why we're doing what we're doing. So that's the story, okay? So let's talk about a couple of things that, that will help us as we go into this week. Here's the first one. The task for these people was overwhelming. And they were so focused on getting this done, they got pretty tired. Um, one of the things that will happen in your life if you're not careful, because again, Satan will attack from the outside. When that doesn't work, then Satan works from the inside. And one of the things that Satan will do, and this is, I think, I think this is Satan's greatest tool in 2017. He gets you so busy that you start focusing on what's urgent. And you don't do what's important. Let me say it again. You get so busy that you focus on urgent. You focus on getting that to-do list done. You focus on knocking things off. You can focus on, on, on all the things that you have to do for the day. You come to the end of the day and you go, how many things did I do today that were really, really important? I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to, that old, older people who in life say this. I wish I would have known then what I know now. I can't tell you the number of times that every time I go to Texas and visit my dad, you know what he tell me? I regret that I spent all my time with Texaco, and I never spent my time with my kids. Now, you need to understand. My dad started with Texaco driving a truck. And when my dad was done working for Texaco 30-some-odd years, my dad was a manager. My, my dad oversaw every truck from Texas to Virginia. He was responsible for every truck that Texaco owned. And he worked his way all the way up the corporate ladder. Um, I watched what it did to his health. Um, my dad was a chronic warrior. I watched it destroy his health. I think I had a great childhood because I, I don't look back on it and regret any of it. But my dad, however, beat himself up to the day he died. And he said, I gave my life to a company, not my kids. I've learned that that's easy to do. That's easy to do. Because you see, we tend to do what's important, or what's urgent, not what's important. And what happened was, for the children of Israel, they were getting so tired 
and so and, and all they could focus on was what? What do they say? There is much what? Rubbish. They hadn't focused on the fact that we've got half the wall built for two and a half miles. All they could focus on was the rubbish that was in their way. And that's easy to do. It's easy to let junk accumulate in your life that's not really that important. That's easy to do. Now, women, I'm so, I'm so scared to go down this road. Because I know that what I say and what you hear are two different things. And this is a really bad illustration. And guys, I apologize ahead of time. But I have lived in the country long enough that you have warped me to believe that if you have a shed, it needs to be full. And I have adopted the mentality, and I've learned that when it gets full, you go get another shed so you can fill it up. And when you run out of those spaces, you start making piles on the property. Um, and my wife has like, put down the law. The law is if you drive down the road in front of our property, you can see no piles. Okay, If you can see it, believe me, you know, this quiet, meek, peaceful person is not who I see when there's a pile in front of, the, in front of a shed. So anyway, so, so just do that. We've been in the same property 17 years, okay? And my shed was to the point that I was finding a hard time to even put a tractor in there for the winter to keep it out of the snow. And so I decided, because I didn't have anything else to do this year, I decided I wanted to clean my shed. Okay? Now, you need to understand, this task is massively overwhelming. So what I did was I decided I was going to take one hour every night at the end of the day, and I was going to go into the shed, and I was going to tackle one area. By one area, here's what I mean. A drawer. Okay? When I'm done, everything in this, I'm going to touch everything in this drawer, and it's going to go in one of three places. It's either going to go into keep deal, it's either going to go into a giveaway pile, or it's going to go into a throwaway pile. But I am going to touch physically everything in that drawer. Then the next night, I went to the next drawer. And I went to the next drawer. Um, there are uh, roughly about 18 drawers in my shop. No, 19, 20, 20. I'm up to 20. 20. That doesn't count shelves. That's just drawers, okay? And so every day, that's what I would do. I'd go out and I'd spend about an hour. I'd do it at night when it was cooler and stuff like that. I'd go all the way through it. Finally, as we got close to the trap chute, there was the big push. Because I wanted people to see my shed. I was proud of my shed now. Now, this has become a matter of personal pride at this point. So I get it all done. I get it, I, well, not all done. About 80% done. I still have two little corners that there's rubbish. Um, but I get it all done. Here's, here's what I've been amazed at. I've been amazed now that when I go in and want to do something on my shed, I know where it is. I have plenty of space to work. I have clean countertops that I can actually do projects on. I am amazed at how freeing it is because there's no rubbish. It's all either been 
If it's kept, it was kept for a reason. Otherwise, it was given away or pitched. Now, ladies, you know why I'm going here now, okay? Okay, don't go home and say, see, the pastor cleans his shed. Because what I didn't tell you is I still got a lean-to, a hoop building, and two other buildings that are full. Um, those are next year's projects and years to come. Uh, but here's the point. The point is I think that's what happens in our lives. I think what happens is we allow things in that just aren't that big. We don't want to deal with them, and we let them pile up. And before we know it, we get stuck because, we can't, because those things don't allow us to do and live life the way we want to live because now we're tied to all of those, whatever it is. Some of you, something's happened in your life, and there's a hang-up, and, and you just haven't dealt with it, and, and it's just continued to pile up and pile up and pile up, and now it's got you so that you're stuck in life because there's some stuff you just need to get rid of. Some of you have some really great hobbies, but here's the thing. It's out of control. It's out of control. Some of you have things in your life. And, and so for me, I just kind of stepped back and said, okay, what's my purpose in life? And is this part of it contributing to that purpose? And if it's not, I get somebody else to do it, or I get rid of it in my life, or I embrace it even more if it's adding the value that I want for what's important to me. And I, I, I stress that because I think sometimes, like the children of Israel, we can get so stuck that we can't go forward like me. I mean, and there's a lot of times I want to do something like shed, but it's like, oh, I'd have to clean that off. I don't have time for that. The next thing I know, i got this nice shed that I can pull something in and work, and I'm, I'm out in the driveway working on it because I can't get anything in the shed to go work on it. And now, I found out I can put three cars in there. Because when it, hail, it was going to be a hailstorm, I'm like, well, if I slide that car over, I, I can get all three cars in there. I couldn't tell you last time I knew that I could get three cars in that shed. Um, because all of a sudden, now there's room. And it's the same thing in our, in our life. I think if we get rid of some of that stuff, what it allows us to do is free to do the stuff that we really, is really, really important instead of the stuff that's just urgent. The second idea that I think you see here in this, in this passage has to do with this. When Satan can't get you from the outside, Satan works from the inside. See, when Sambal, Tobiah, and Geshem, and all those guys kept attacking them in chapter, in chapter 2, and they weren't effective, then what they started doing was they ramped it all up. They got more people involved. But they started creating fear in the lives of the people. The people started getting tired. The people started talking among themselves about how hard the task was. And the people started getting discouraged within themselves. And you know, that's what Satan will do. See, if Satan can't destroy your marriage from the outside... He'll take two people perfectly in love, and he'll get you to focus on yourself. And before you know it, that oneness that you should have as a, as a married couple, you start slowly, slowly, slowly separating away, and the guy tends to go doing his thing, and the woman tries to go doing her thing. And before you know it, you have drifted apart. The thing that you have in common is the kids a lot of times, so you focus on the kids, but the, here's the problem. At, the kids are a temporary relationship. At one point, they're going away, and then it's just the two of you they tell us 
that the highest divorce rate is the first five years of marriage. The second highest divorce rate comes with people who've been married over 25 years. You know why? Because the guy did his thing, the girl did her thing, they're two strangers living in a house, the kids are gone, they got nothing more in common, they're looking at each other going, who are you? Well, what, why are we doing this? Instead of saying, you know what? We're going to invest, and we're not going to allow ourselves to drift apart. Um, because it's easy. That's what Satan will do. He'll try to, he'll try to get you on. Yeah, by the way, you, those of you who are parents, particularly those of you who are parents with younger kids, please hear me. The best thing you can do for your kids, first of all, is love your spouse. The second thing that you need to do more than anything else is get on the same page. You need to get on the same page with those kids. Because one of the things that you find in here is Satan tries to get them divisive, and he tries to get everybody on different pages here. That's why. What, is, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah brings everybody together to get everybody on the same page. And that's what has to happen as a, as a couple. You have to get together and go, okay, um, ooh, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble here, but um, you'll get over it. Um, grandparents. You need to be on the same page as parents. Oh, but I'm a grandparent. It's my job to spoil them. No, it's not. Your job is to come alongside your kids and help them raise a godly young man or woman. That's your job. And so that means at some point you're going to have to tell your grandchild no. You go, oh, you haven't had to do that yet. Oh, yeah, believe me. Believe me, I have. And I say, no, you're not going to do that. Love that girl to death, but the reality of it is, my job is to help Jimmy and Aaron raise her. And if they have certain rules, then you know what? I need to go by those rules. So I ask, can she have a fudgesicle? Grandpa share his fudgesicle with her. And I've learned that there is no such thing as sharing a fudgesicle with a two-year-old. So the way I, so it now comes down to, can I give her my fudgesicle? Um, but I mean, really, that, that's the thing. It is so important that we get on the same page. And that's what you see with Nehemiah here. They try to attack from, without, from within. And the people start to get discouraged. And, the pe- and Nehemiah brilliantly gets them all together and says, okay, guys, let's all get on the same page. And that, that brings me to the last thing. What does he do at the end? Because this is so important. When, when fear comes into your life, when these things come in that want to pull you away, that want to hurt you, that want to destroy your marriage, that want to destroy your, 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 your attitude and your outlook with your job and those kind of things, what happens? He goes, two things. He says, remember the Lord and remember what you're doing this for. Um. When we built the first building, um, one of the things that we learned in that process, and we've changed it, uh, we've kind of gone overboard, but we've really changed it for this one, is um, we were so pushing so hard to get into this building because the, 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 the government wanted us out, and so they could close out the project, and so there was a big push, and we were putting in long hours, and everything was exhausting, and da-da-da-da-da. And what we did was we would take turns eating. We were so focused on getting the project done that we'd say, okay, the food was sitting in there in the kitchen. When you get a chance from your project, you go in and grab something to eat, 
And then we were eating in ships the whole time. And before we knew it, we found out we were starting to get on each other's nerves a lot and stuff like that. And so one of the things, one of the simple things is that we would stop. And, and again, back then what we were doing is we were working in the evening. So a lot of us, myself included, I was part-time at the time. We would go, we would work a job from 8 to 5. We would come up here. We would start work. Sometimes we'd go till midnight, um, eat supper up here, and we'd do the same thing the next day. And so in that process, so what we started doing was saying, okay, we're going to stop. We're going to take a time. They're all going to sit down at the same table. We're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to eat together. And it dramatically changed the whole, the whole project. And we, we learned up here. Now, we've taken it to the extreme, okay, up here, because we eat and don't want to go back to work. But, um, but we, we, we've learned the importance of getting everybody together at one point and saying, you know what, look, let's... Let's, let's focus on the fellowship part of this thing. Yeah, we want to get the work done, but let's sit around and talk about our lives and talk about politics and talk about everything else in the world going on. And we cover just about everything you can imagine. But we do it to build relationship. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. And, and you know, the reason we're doing that out there is twofold. We want people in the community to be able to come and be a part of this because we think this is incredible. And we think the love and acceptance and support here is incredible. And we want, we want other people to be able to come and not in the building not be a hindrance to that. That's why we're doing it. The second thing is we want to continue to build up and encourage and support one another. We want to build relationships. That's what it's about. So... In a lot of churches, when you go to make decisions, it becomes a big issue. You know, it's like, you know, okay, you know, what color is it going to be? Um, you know, I don't like the carpet, blah, 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 blah. And you get people whining and complaining about some of the dumbest things. Um, the attitude here is find a bunch of people who want to make the decision. Let them make it. And the rest of us don't care. Because you know what? Here's what I've learned. I, a sink kind of goes in the way a sink goes in. I really do, doesn't, color of the sink doesn't matter. You know, um, you know, when it comes down to some of that stuff, why? Because here's the thing, why, do, why, why are we even putting in a sink? Which is a big question on why we're doing it in the men's room. But um, <laughs> that's been a whole nother discussion, you know. Um, but, <clears throat> oh boy, uh, I don't want to get in trouble. But. Why are we putting it in a sink? So that people can come here and be able to use a bathroom. Does it really matter if it's oil-rubbed bronze or brushed nickel on the faucet that you're going to use? That was a decision this week. Brushed nickel. Okay? Uh, you know why? Spot-resistant finish. Easy cleanup. Uh, that's why. In my, it's like, you know, people keep asking me, they're like, what kind of seats are you going to put? I don't know. Don't know. Well, this is what I want. Okay, time out. Let me tell you what I want. Okay, let me tell you what I want. Because people ask me, what do you want? Here's what I want. There's a theater I go to in Omaha, and there's a theater that I go to in Des Moines. And they have these recliner seats <laughs> that are extra wide. They have cup holders on them. They also recline back. 
and there's a little tray table in front of you. And you write down what you want, and you stick it in the thing. And during the movie, a guy or a gal comes by and takes that from you and brings you whatever you want. You want fish and chips? They'll bring you fish and chips. You want another pop? They'll bring you another pop. Want another bowl of popcorn? Yes, they'll bring it to me. Hot pretzel with, with, with spicy mustard on it. Awesome. I could care less about the movie. I don't even care what's on the screen at that point. Now, if I had it my way, you know what we would have in there? Yeah, and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to come to church. You know, we're sound asleep. It's not about me. It's about making it so that we have room for people who can come and sit and fellowship and think about the relationship to God and the relationship to one another and build up and, 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 and encourage your life. That's what it's about. So you know what? We're probably not going to have those recliner chairs. Now, I just thought about this. We could put one on the pulpit. Um, <laughs> but then as my kids and my wife would tell you, yeah, I'd be sound asleep up here when it came time to preach. It'd be, hey, wake up. It's your turn. Um, it's not about us. Not about us. Now, one of the things that you see with the children of Israel is that when fear enters the picture, Nehemiah gets them all together and he says, Look, folks, remember the Lord. God's brought us this far. He's not going to abandon us now. And guys, let's all get on the same page here and let's remember why we're doing it. Some of you, as you look at life, things happen, there's an unexpected loss. There's maybe a health scare. There's stuff that happens that is kind of out of the norm. And, and in those times, I've been there enough to know, the fear kind of becomes overwhelming. Can I remind you how to handle it? Step back and think about this. God has brought you this far. He's not going to quit on you now. And secondly, what's the real purpose for your life anyway? Step back and ask, you know, you know, for me, my goal is to see the Lord glorified in my life, whether it be by life or by death. So, as my buddy Doug used to say, Doug, Doug had a 22-year battle with colon cancer. had colon cancer four, five times. And I'll never forget the old truer words that have ever been spoken. He looked at me and he said, here's the deal. He said, as a Christian, he said, no matter what, I win. He said, if I beat this thing the fifth time, I get to spend more time with my wife and kids. If I don't, I go to heaven. He said, for me, win-win. And there's nothing more true than that for us as a believer. And so when, when, when people are threatening and everything else, Nehemiah gathers them all together. He says, okay, here's our plan. We're going to fill up the this, this small spots, and then here's what we're going to do, guys. We're all going to focus on the fact God has taken care of us this far. He'll continue to take care of us. And this isn't about us. This is about the people behind us, our kids, our grandkids, the other people. That's what it's about. And I would challenge you to remember the same thing. So I end with this. I end with the idea that when Satan cannot defeat you from without, he attacks from within. Exhaustion, discouragement, fear, they become your focus. Refocusing on the Lord and your purpose. 
will help you overcome the battle from within. Okay, now Brittany, this is driving you nuts, isn't it? Okay, time out. Time out. This is why we're here. You get that? Because as crazy, as, as, you're just fit to be tied. I know you enough to know. You're like, oh. Right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I understand that. Do you know what I see? I look at a future Sunday school teacher, a future lay leader. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. I'm thrilled because you know what? There's a lot of churches meeting this morning. That doesn't happen. You know why? There's no little kids here. I don't want to be one of those churches. This is what it's about. Investing in the lives of one another. And that's why we're here. Let's not forget that. Okay? You know, if you're like, oh, it just bothers me that little kids run. Okay. Oh, you know, I can be brutal sometimes, so I'm just going to be brutal that really, really bothers you, there are a lot of churches around where you won't have to deal with that. But if you're going to come here, we're all in this together. I still love you. But that's just the way it is. Okay? We're in it together. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we want to kind of be the place that (sighs) there is life. There is all of that. Lord, sometimes it's so easy for us to make it about us. Lord, we're not here for us. We're here to be able to reach people for Christ. We are here to be able to make a difference in the lives of the people that you bring into our lives. So, Lord, help us to encourage and build up one another. Thanks so much, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, for some here who are discouraged, would you encourage their heart? For some, Lord, who they just got a bunch of junk in their life they need to get rid of, would you help them to start the process just step by step? And Lord, for all of us, when it is all said and done, may we all, Lord, be assured of our heavenly home, and may we be assured, Lord, that you live in our lives 24-7. And we thank you for that. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, We're going to stand. We're going to sing one verse of uh, Find Us Faithful. Let's stand together as we sing. (laughs) 